Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are getting ready for training camp here. We are talking New York Giants football. We're joined by WFAN's Giants reporter, Paul Dettino. We're going to chat about Big Blues. They get ready for the Snoopy Bowl this week against the Jets in preseason week one. What's going on there And Joe Judge's second training camp? That's coming up in just a bit. Make sure you're liking the other podcast. We're going to do some hard knocks coverage here. The premiere comes out Tuesday night. We're going to chat with Troy Morello, big-time Cowboy fan, shortly afterwards. We're going to recap that for you, set up what we look forward to this season in the show. But we'll get it all started with the opening tip, with my thoughts on the end of the Olympics. And it's been an interesting ride here, right after this. All right, we are back here on the opening tip, talking the Olympics and the end of the Olympics. Got to say, this was a very sort of underwhelming Olympics for me because it was so hard to follow everything. I remember I said on the Olympic preview podcast, the NBC sports app would be the key to following everything. Even then, it was almost impossible to find what was on what channel, what was live, what wasn't, all that stuff. I get the time difference is difficult. I understand that, you know, they're 13 hours ahead in Tokyo and Unless you are turning into the very beginning of primetime coverage, you're not getting anything live. Unless you're staying up all the hours of the night to watch. But NBC could have done better. The thing I did not love the most was putting USA Basketball on Peacock Premium for live games. Where I get you want to drive people to the, to the ad service, to the streaming service. Peacock is NBC's big thing. If you want to get them on there, put it on the free model at least. Making people pay $5.99 for something you get to see for free live in almost every other Olympics is not a good business model. And people were upset about that, trying to find it. I also didn't like the whole idea of taping the stuff, the Olympics, the delaying things, and acting like it was big breaking news when it came on the primetime broadcast later. The big example is obviously Simone Biles' situation where NBC says, like, oh, tune in tonight to find out what happened when she withdrew from the competition. Like, guys, we have smartphones. We found out within five seconds what happened to Simone Biles. That's not important to us. The interesting stuff here, obviously, the basketball, I talked a little bit about it on the blog this week. Not a perfect Olympics for the for the uh, U.S. men's team, but they still got the gold medal job. They took care of that. They are now four-time Olympic champions, play a very tight game with France. It's interesting because the Olympics in four years are in France, so we will see probably them take the big shot at the, at the USA in the next Olympics. Although... The team should be better because this year they had the pandemic-related season changed a lot of the plans. They were going for bigger stars in this. They did not get them. I think a normal year where you have a normal summer and you have time to get these guys in here and not be rushing three guys off the finals right into the Olympics, I think USA basketball will be fine. Women's basketball dominant is always talking about how dominant Sue Bird, Diana Tarazi are. Sue Bird just wins everything. And that year could come back for 2024 in Paris as the player now. That's incredible. I think that's very exciting. U.S. women's soccer, end of an era there. They do win the bronze medal. This point, did not win the gold. Lost one nothing to Canada. Again, it's that curse that if you win the Women's World Cup, it's almost impossible to seem to win the gold and medal in the next Olympics. So U.S. women have not won gold since 2012 in London. We'll see if they win it in Paris. Baseball was back. Baseball was fun. Good job by the American team because the Americans, you know, they're going up against like the top professionals from Japan, from South Korea, who stopped their leagues at the Olympics. Baseball, MLB has not stopped. Good job there, getting a bronze there. Fun little team. Sad we're not going to see it because not permanent sports sort of goes by commission for each Olympics. Paris has no interest in baseball, so might not see baseball again until 2028 in, in Los Angeles. So that'll be fun. Hopefully we get a bigger interest in it then. The swimming was fun. I always like seeing Americans dominate the pool. Always a fun event the first week. Track field the second week. How crazy is that Italian won 
the 100-meter dash. I know he went to school here in the U.S., but Italy's not the country you think of when you think of sprinting success. The Winter Games are next year in China. You have a similar pandemic situation there because this world I've seen practice is a little bit slow. If I were in Paris, should offer more normalcy. That's going to be interesting. Before we get to the Giants stuff with Paul Latino, I want to take a minute on the Mets also because what has happened there, we're going to get more into this next week in the Open, is absolutely disastrous. This team has managed to choke away a pretty big lead in the National League East. They lost 6-7 on the road trip. We were recording on Wednesday afternoon before they resumed suspending the Nationals, which are losing 3-1, by the way. Juan Soto's 3-on home where they got one run back. Then they have this 13-game gauntlet ahead of them with the Giants and the Dodgers. They're two and a half back of the Phillies. The offense has gone non-existent. And I'm sorry. I don't want to hear Pete Alonzo talking about, we're going to hit the ball well. We're in a good spot. We're just not having it fall in. Guys, we watched the games. We've seen you strike out on fastballs down the middle of the plate. Don't spin that garbage to us. I know you want to be positive, but New York fans pay big prices. They want results. They're not going to say, oh, you know, please support the guys Luis Rojas is telling us. They want more of what Zach Scott gave us on the press conference prior to the homestand yesterday where he said, hey, we've been mediocre. This has been unacceptably bad from us. We have to take care of this. We have to get better. If Pete comes out and says, hey, we're not doing well right now. We're working on it every day. I'm confident we'll get back in, in the gears. More appropriate response. Nobody wants to hear the fake optimism when you are struggling to score the ball and you can't get five runs in a weekend in Philadelphia. What's going to happen with the Mets now? This weekend is huge for them. They have to take care of business. They have to win this series against Washington. They have to find a way to stabilize against the Dodgers and the Giants because right now, baseball is at their playoff odds at 5%. 5%. This team is about 77% on the All-Star break. And they are largely expecting the Mets to get blown out of the water of the Giants and Dodgers. Go something like 3-10 and 10 and be left for dead in the standings. We will check in next week with the Mets, see how they're going. But we'll talk Giants football with WFN's Paul Latino right after this. If Diggs continues to play him that way, I would expect to see a shot real soon. Here's a toss to Shepard. Plenty of room, and Sterling Shepard is in for the touchdown. And that is about as good an opening drive as the Giants could have ever hoped for. You can see how there's just no contain on the outside at all for Dallas. They get caught looking into the backfield. There's no one out there in order to turn it back inside and make a play. uh, That's a really nice job by New York on this opening possession. And they did some good things. All right, I am back here on the podcast talking New York Giants football with the guys covering them for a long time for WFAN. The great Paul Latino is on the line. Paul, how are you? Uh, very good to talk to you. Doing well. Hope you're enjoying the summer, although I think the humidity is about to pick up. The humidity is picking up, but, you know, that's a good, it's a good time to go hop in the pool and get ready to listen to some football talk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And to be honest, Joe Judge likes the stress conditioning. And as you know, Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin years ago used to love humidity at training camp because that really made the guys work hard and prepare them for the season. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start right there with Joe Judge because he's running a very tough camp this year. Obviously, we heard about the brawl the other day when we had Daniel Jones at the bottom of the pile, lots of penalty laps, and he was very upset. What was that experience like for you seeing that all unfold? Well, you know, look, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. That was probably the most tame fracas that I've ever seen. Uh, I've seen much worse than that over my years. I I actually, to be frank with you, I bristle at the term brawl because it wasn't. A brawl implies punches, kicks, people being thrown down and wrestled to the ground. That's nothing like what happened. Uh, we had uh, seen a, a couple of players shove each other, uh, fall down, and then other players trying to pick them up and try to pull them apart, and then they just basically fell all over each other. It looked more like guys going after a fumble and a pile of bodies rather than a brawl or a steel cage match or whatever else the, the writers wanted to term it. Look, I guess they just haven't been around football training camps for four decades as I have because that was the furthest thing from a brawl I've ever seen. 
Now, the whole team did get involved. Everybody was trying to pull everybody else off, so the pile got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Joe Judge, to his credit, wanted to hammer home the point that you can't have pushing and shoving because if you do it in practice, you're going to wind up doing it in a game. That will draw a penalty or perhaps an ejection, which will hurt the team. And furthermore, if you do anything like that during practice and guys are falling over each other, well, somebody could get hurt. And that's not going to do the team any good either. And that is why Judge was so angry and he penalized them as he did. It wasn't because of the actual physical nature of what happened. It's in principle that that stuff should not happen. Yeah, that makes some sense. I also feel like it's one thing that's real odd for the Giants in terms of the canteens. I feel like we've had at least four guys retire when they get to camp, which seems very unusual. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Four guys retire in the middle of camp? Well, it's happened around the NFL. In fact, Graham Deneau, who was a veteran kicker, was asked by the reporters today, and he'd ever seen it. And he said, sure. I've seen uh, handfuls of guys, you know, retire before many years, many times. It does happen, especially now, because you're dealing with still very difficult protocols coming off of a year and a half of COVID situations where the league and the Players Association has had to really put all kinds of restrictions on these players. And and look, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. Mike, it's not as fun to be a player right now as it was pre-COVID. It's also not as fun to be a beat reporter as it was during the days of pre-COVID. That's just a fact. Uh, Now, you know, Benjamin, he was coming out of retirement anyway, so I don't put much stock in anything he says going back into retirement. Uh, Then you had uh, Davis and Looney, who explained to Joe Judge that they had family issues that they had to take care of. And so they retired and that's understandable. And now you have Fulton, the latest one to go. And judge said, in addition to a business and family issue, he also felt like his body just wasn't responding as it should. And that's why he decided to go. The last three players, Davis Looney and and Fulton were all told by Joe judge that the door is open, that if they want to come back, he will welcome them back. I would add one other thing, though, and Joe Judge did not say this. Any player who is not physically, mentally, and emotionally invested in giving 100% on the field at training camp better walk away because if he's not going to give it his all, he is a safety risk to himself and to his teammates, and better that he walk away now than do it once the 53-man roster is set. I completely agree with that. It makes a lot of sense. Speaking of the 53-man roster, one guy who's going to be there is Daniel Jones, who's a big year. It's his third year on the team. It got some weapons there, finally help him out a little bit. What have you seen so far at Daniel Jones at training camp? He's been a bit inconsistent. On days when he's been really, really good, he's been razor sharp. The last two days prior to this taping, the offense clearly had the better of the defense, and Jones was really winging it good. Now, not so much on this particular afternoon where the run game looked pretty good, the short passing game looked pretty good, but the medium and long-range passing game, the defense clearly had the edge. Look, the Giants have probably one of the top five secondaries in the National Football League, so it's not out of the question that those guys will get the upper hand on occasion anyway because they're just that talented and deep. But I will tell you, there have been certain practices where Jones has been inconsistent with his accuracy, and I'm sure that he will continue to work on that before the regular season starts. Oh, for sure. I think that will help him out a lot is obviously the return of Saquon Barkley from the ACL injury, and I know they're bringing him along slowly at camp. Like, have they gotten the sense that like Saquon will be ready to go on opening day, or is this something we should keep an eye on? Well, I mean, I've said all along that given the track record for the kind of injury that he had and when the surgery took place, that it would be unrealistic to expect Barkley to get the full workload, 20 to 25 touches for all 17 weeks of this season. I have always cautioned people to say that the first week or two, or maybe even three, he would have a lighter load if he's even activated for the first game of the season. Now, let me make it clear. Nobody truly knows exactly what's going on because while the trainers can test him, 
They can rehab him, and they can bring him along. On any given day, his rehab could have a setback. Or on any given day, they could push through a hurdle, and all of a sudden he's accelerating his rehab. So those, those things are always fluid. And Joe Judge has been very specific and adamant in saying that there is no exact timetable on when Barkley will return to the practice field, which then means he's going to have to get out there and at least take some jostling before they even consider putting him in a game. And, and neither one of those things have happened yet, obviously. So it remains to be seen. But I'd be shocked if you see him at all during the preseason. I mean, come on, clearly, let's be obvious about this. And again, whether or not he's even active for game number one, I do think the first few games that he plays, the first two or three perhaps, maybe even four, you will see limited touches. He'll be on a pitch count. And people have to take that into account, which is why Devontae Booker is a very important signing during the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be a big help them to try and eat Saquon back in the mix. I think another thing that could help him out is the offensive line, which, curiously, they did not really address the offseason. They let Kevin Zeitler go to save some money on the cap. They trust the guys they have in there, and the line was a big issue last year. Do you think this line is going to get better as this year goes on? Well, I do think it was better during the second half of the season, and even, quite honestly, there was a stretch there, what, five games in the middle of the year? They were averaging well over 130 yards a game on the ground. So they were clearly getting the run-blocking stuff down and improving. Uh, That's really indisputable. The facts are there. Now, the pass protection, well, that was inconsistent during the course of the year. It was better in the second half of the season than it was the first, but it still did remain inconsistent. So obviously, the youngsters on that line, you know, they're all going to have to continue to show growth and, you know, have to live up to the potential that the Giants believe they have. You'd like to believe that Rob Sale, the new offensive line coach, who has impeccable credentials and also an Alabama background where he was connected to Joe Judge, and then Pat Flaherty, remember, he was the O-line coach for two Super Bowl champions with the Giants. He's back in the building now helping out that offensive line. You'd like to believe that those two guys will give them an extra boost as they try to improve. Yeah, I think one thing is also going to be the calling card for the Giants here is obviously their defense. Last year, Patrick Ramsey did a great job of that unit. They got even better the offseason when they brought Dory Jackson to help the secondary. So what do you think the expectations are for this defense? Do you think we could see a continuation of what we saw last year, or do you think there's a chance there might be a little regression? Oh, I think it's going to be better. I mean, I think the Giants finished, what, in total yardage 12th, I think, overall, in total yardage defense. Now, that, of course, can be a misleading stat, but I think it's safe to say no matter what number you looked at, the Giants were a fringe top 10 defense last year. I think that's pretty fair, regardless of what metric you decide to place emphasis on. Uh, And who's missing from that defense? Okay, Dalvin Tomlinson, the guy in the middle of that defensive line, a really good player. And a guy who everybody wanted back but became a cap casualty. Well, what do they do? They go out and they get Danny Shelton, who is a big, wide-body run-stopper, so he'll play in obvious rundowns. And then they'll mix and match guys on pass-downs. So I don't think they're going to lose a whole lot at that one position. But what do they gain? Well, you got Leonard Williams coming off a career year. you got Dexter Lawrence, who just looks like in every game he's played over the first two years of his NFL career, he has gotten better. And I anticipate him to take another jump this year. you got Blake Martinez as steady as ever. He's good for 140-plus tackles. He's proven that over the course of the last few years. You've got a slew of outside linebackers right now who either are new to the team or coming off of injury. So you'd like to think with those numbers that somebody will rise and the cream will, will get to the top and, and somebody will step up and who knows? Maybe it'll be Aziz Ojolari. I, I never believed that rookie pass rushers will very often make a huge impact in their first seasons in the league, but maybe Ojolari can. I know a lot of people who think very, very highly of him. And if he can be that guy, watch out. And I don't even have to tell you about the secondary. You already know they're, they're a top five, maybe top three secondary in the National Football League. So that's gotten better. When you consider Xavier McKinney, you know, only played a month and a half of the season last year sparingly. Uh, you consider that Darnay Holmes showed dramatic improvement in the slot during the course of December. 
You add a Dory Jackson, a legit cover corner, to go opposite Bradbury. And I didn't even say anything about Peppers and Ryan, the other two safeties. And I mean, come on now. If this, safety, if this secondary is not a top five, then somebody's not watching football. Oh, for sure. The secondary is great. It's going to be a big help in the NFC East with Dak Prescott coming back and Ryan Fitzpatrick stabilizing the Washington offense. I feel like they their defense gives them a chance to win this division. Well, I think so. I mean, look, let me put it to you this way. There's no one that's going to dispute that the Giants have the best balance in the division between offense, defense, and special teams. Okay? I think that's pretty obvious. Dallas potentially has the most explosive offense. Washington may have the most dangerous defense because of their defensive line, which is just absolutely sensational. Although the Giants have a better back seven than Washington does. But Washington's defensive line is just so dominant that if you wanted to give them the slight edge over the Giants, I'll let you have that. But again, the Giants back seven, they, they don't take a backseat to anybody. And then special teams, look, Graham Deneau's got 30 consecutive field goal makes, a Giants team record as we start the season. Riley Dixon's a very solid punter, and we expect Kadarius Toney to be the return guy. So, you know, come on. The Giants aren't weak in any level when you consider that the offense, you know, is on the up, and they've added Kenny Galladay, uh, they'll have a healthy uh, Darius Slayton. They've added Kyle Rudolph to the tight end room. You know, you anticipate that the offensive line is on the up, which is all going to help Daniel Jones. I mean, no, the Giants are the most balanced team in the division. There's no question. And they were 4-2 in the NFC East last year. And by the way, yeah, Washington did win the division, but the Giants beat them twice. So how could the Giants not at least be co-favorites? If you don't want to make them the favorites, all right, I'll, I'll fight you on that. But how could they not at least be the co-favorites in the division? Yeah, I think it's certainly a fair point. In terms of like matchups, though, I feel like Washington might be the team that gives them the most trouble because Dallas, who knows, a Dak, because they always have the shoulder thing. He's not throwing for a little bit. Washington's front four. Well, they have no defense. Yeah, the defense. The, the Cowboys have no defense. They are not balanced at all. They're strictly an offensive juggernaut. They don't have defense, and I don't think their special teams are very good. And Philadelphia is just a mess. Yeah, I think Washington, the thing that would scare me the most on a Giant fan is just the front four going against the offensive lines. You acknowledge the pass protection still probably has work to do. That could be a matchup issue for them, especially because you can see them very early in the season on a short turnaround. Well, if you believe in the fundamentals of football, it always comes down to the trenches. And then the second fundamental of football is defense wins. And clearly, Washington and the Giants have the two best defenses by far in the division. So those should be the two teams that realistically have a chance to win the NFC East. But let's not forget, okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the new quarterback in Washington, how many playoff games has he been into in 17 NFL seasons? The answer is none. As many as Daniel Jones has been to. Uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been Mr. Up and Down, journeyman inconsistency his entire career. Once he won one game with the Jets, uh, 10 games with the Jets, in 2015 with a similar team, a team that had a dominant defense and he was managing the offense and he had his career year. And that was seven years ago. And they finished 10 and six. So I personally believe Washington's high watermark is nine. I think the Giants high watermark could be as high as 11. Yeah, that'd be certainly interesting to see. And obviously, we're in the preseason coming up right now, and we've seen the Giants find these guys in the course of camp over the years who've made their stars in the preseason come big names like Victor Cruz. Are you guys in camp right now that caught your eye that are not necessarily on the top of minds for Giants fans? Well, I think we all pretty much know who the starters are going to be on both sides of the ball. So I, I don't necessarily know that they're, quote, sleepers right now. I mean, Tay Crowder, who was Mr. Irrelevant, the last player drafted in last year's selection process, wound up starting a half a dozen games, had a fumble recovery for a touchdown against Washington at MetLife Stadium. And honestly, he's had a good camp. And it wouldn't shock me if he continues to get a ton of playing time you know, in the Giants' nickel package as as one of their two inside linebackers, you know, the guy who's going to play next to Martinez. You know, he's obviously, as being the last player picked in the draft last year, you know, he's not highly thought of by a lot of people outside the Giants' draft room. But I'll tell you this, 
uh, he's got a lot of ability, and he'll make a lot more plays this year if he winds up being a regular guy in that sub package. So that would be potentially a little bit of a sleeper to look for. And I will tell you, a guy who has had a sensational week, a second week of training camp, uh, six-round draft pick, Odarius Williams. Uh, my goodness, this cornerback has been all over the field. Every day he's noticeable. And as we take this interview today, he just had his best day at practice. He, he is just really lighting things up out there. I just don't know that there's a lot of room to play him because the Giants have so many people who can play in the secondary. I don't know how he gets on the field. It's a good problem to have for the Giants to have that many corners as in the passing league. No question. And think about this, too. They also have Julian Love. And we don't even talk about him. But this guy can play corner. He can play a little slot. He can also play safety. And right now, there's no place for him in the regular rotation, you know, when you consider he's the fourth safety and the fourth corner. <laughs> I mean, how good is your secondary if you could say that? Yeah, that's pretty good. My last question is obviously the preseason. We're recording on Friday, August 6th. They were about just over a week away from the first preseason game. And it's unusual because this is Joe Judge's second year. It's obviously his first preseason because of COVID. So, yeah, do you have any indication of how he wants to approach the preseason in terms of like getting starters reps, or is he not really giving that out yet? Well, he's told us today that because there's no fourth preseason game, he wants to give as many of his young players as many snaps as possible in the preseason opener against the Jets. Uh, so that's what I'm expecting to see. It was the first indication we've gotten from him on how he plans to do his player deployment. So uh, you will see a lot of the second and third and fourth stringers in that Jets game on the 14th. Then, of course, they've got uh, the Cleveland game and the New England game to finish off the preseason. But those Browns and Patriots games will be preceded by two days of practices with those opponents. Uh, and those are going to be very big for Joe Judge, as he has said, because they've only got three preseason games. Those dual practice sessions, he's going to treat them like preseason games because that's going to be an opportunity to see his players against other helmets. So um, that's his philosophical approach. Uh, and, you know, look, we've all been very curious about how coaches around the league are going to do this now with only three preseason opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Paul, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I hope people follow you on social media and keep up with your coverage for WFAN. Well, I appreciate it very much. Uh, at Giants WFAN, uh, I'm there all the time. We do what we can to keep the fans informed. It's been a pleasure, and I uh, certainly enjoy talking to you. Absolutely, Paul. Look forward to following you on WFAN this season. Thanks for all the time. All right, man. Anytime. We are back here on the podcast. You heard by that introduction here. Hard Knocks is back. The latest edition of the NFL's Inside Training Camp Show with HBO, focusing on the Dallas Cowboys here. Joining me today to talk about the premiere episode, one of the biggest Cowboy fans I know. We guys heard from him back. Talk about the Cowboy draft at the end of the beginning of May. Troy Moriello is here. Troy, how are you? I'm doing okay, Mike. I love hearing that music. You know, it makes me think of uh, the start of NFL season that we're only a couple of weeks away. Actually, within a month now, that that music just gets me so fired up. It absolutely does. I remember last year when there was like basically sports had just started coming back and this mm -hmm. came on and we were looking at the Rams and the Chargers, no preseason. Like even then I was like, okay, we're going to be getting NFL soon. I'm excited about this. Exactly. That, that, that music is, you know, up there with like the Masters music and, you know, maybe CBS, uh, SEC football. It's the the best music uh, in, in sports, I would say. Up there for sure. Yeah, it's up there with the NCAA tournament theme too, I think. It's also a yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and obviously 
Cowboys are the pick this year. This is why I went to you for this episode. And this is the third time they've been on. First time, I think, since about, like, 2009, 8-ish, yeah. somewhere around that they've been on. So, like, what was your thoughts when they said the Cowboys are the pick this year? Yeah, I was I was stoked, you know. I, I think it was 2008, actually, was the, uh, the last time that they were on. And I remember watching that. I was only maybe 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, so I didn't really, you know, maybe fully understand it or fully really remember it. Um, so this is like the first time in my adult life that, you know, I can remember seeing the Cowboys on hard knocks and kind of getting that, uh, that inside look. I, I watched, you know, every single season of hard knocks. Um, the Cowboys were actually on one of those Amazon prime series a couple of years ago, I think in 2017 or 18. And that, I, that was amazing. So uh, as a fan, you're always looking for kind of that, you know, inside look on your team, uh, you know, in the preseason and, uh, I was I was super stoked to know that it would be the, the Cowboys this season. Yeah, I mean, I had that experience once, the 2010 Jets. And I have to say, that's also probably like one of the most iconic like seasons of that show with all the personalities, Rexes. You got to have a goddamn snack after the meeting. Like, Cromartie, not, not remembering the names, his kids, the Rebus holdout. There was so much stuff there. Like, it's so, I just, for me, it's just set the bar, hooked me in every year. I feel like nothing for me has really come close to that one. Yeah, I was actually talking about that yesterday. That was the peak of Hard Knocks. I don't think Hard Knocks will ever top uh, that that Jets season, they, didn't they get they got us back a second year in a row, right? They did two in a row with the Jets because they were that, just so entertaining. They, they did not get the Jets two years in a row. They wanted to do it two years in a row. The Jets said no. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. thought they did two in a row. But yeah, that that one season with the Jets was just so so entertaining. That uh, yeah, that was the that was that was the peak. I don't think we'll ever top that, but still entertaining nonetheless. Last night, I felt like. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into some of the stuff from this episode here. Obviously, you you want to talk about this off the air, but I want to point out here, like most of the time, they spend a lot of time talking about like you know. Here's the big prize. Here's a couple of guys in the fringe. We only really had three people like focused on the entire episode, which is Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, and Micah Parsons. I feel like that's sort of a departure from the usual Hard Knocks format. Yeah, yeah. We didn't really have, like you said, any of those fringe guys who they kind of, I'm sure they'll get into that, you know, later in the uh, in the season. They have a couple episodes left. Yeah, we didn't really get any of those guys, you know, any of the journeymen or anything like that. It was really just, like you said, Dak, Zeke, and, and their friendship and relationship. And then uh, Micah Parsons, the star rookie, you know, we really didn't even see that much of, of Jerry Jones and, and McCarthy, you know, a little bit here and there. Uh, Jerry Jones eating the, uh, what was it, like the Egg McMuffin in the morning yep. was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, it was really just, just three guys, you know, uh, not a whole lot of coverage of the rest of the team. But I'm sure, you know, we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks for sure. Yeah, cause I remember like the over of the show usually sets the tone for me of the season. Like and like last year we had the Zoom meeting with Anthony Lynn, the Chargers. They talked about how he had COVID and we gotta be careful and all that. And this year mm-hmm. we get we get just Dak talking to the camera about his surgery. Finally had a second one on the ankle, and he basically told me very early that hey, it was cool, it was chilling, it was also Dak's our main character this season. Dak's the guy that we're gonna focus on for like all these episodes. Yeah, and that opening shot of, of his ankle with the with the scars and everything like that. I mean, that like you said, that's going to really set the tone for their entire season. You know, if Dak comes back this year and he is, you know, on the you know maybe a fringe MVP candidate and he's throwing for four thousand, five thousand yards, um, you know, well, you would hope that he doesn't have to do that. But if he does, you know, they're going to be you know win the NFC East pretty easily and should be a, a, you know a playoff contender. Uh, if he struggles or if he battles injuries all season, like last year, they're going to struggle as well. So like you said, you know, that kind of set the tone for the season of hard knocks, as well as I think the Cowboys overall season, just the health of Dak Prescott. Yeah. And we got plenty of that because we'd heard from the Fox broadcast of the whole thing game that he was not allowed to throw. We had a shoulder injury. They didn't tell us about it prior to that game, but we found out more at hard knocks, basically right before the first practice that the training staff runs up and says, Hey, he's got some kind of issue here, a strain. He can't throw like, he can be here, but he can't actually throw the ball. So, like, what was it like seeing that, knowing that you got the information like two days before the episode really came out? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in the moment when I, when I first heard about that injury, I was obviously holding my breath and and very very nervous. Um, but you know, as as that, I kind of knew that it wasn't a serious injury, or like at least the team says it wasn't a serious injury. Uh, watching the episode was a little less stressful, but still, it was interesting to see the reaction of of really everyone on the field. Uh, kind of, you know, holding their breath and, and worried about the health of their star franchise quarterback, uh, especially McCarthy, knowing like, oh, man, are we going to have to go through a second season of this now with no Dak Prescott? But uh, luckily, it doesn't seem like it's a too too serious of an injury. I also thought it was interesting when they had the uh, athletic trainer talking about how he had consulted with uh, trainers on the Rangers and the Yankees, you know, for similar injuries that they deal with every day, that kind of like synergy in between sports. That was kind of like an interesting little tidbit uh, for me, you know, throughout the episode that, you know, Dak's injury and everything like that. 
Yeah, there was a lot of Dak. The injury was always the big thing. We also had some fun stuff with him, like the whole thing where he and Zeke Elliott are exchanging birthday gifts in the episode. I like that was funny. We're in Zeke's hotel, Zeke's hotel room, and then we see Dak show up when Zeke is racking the gift. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, even even Zeke not being able to to wrap a gift, you know, that's like a uh, millionaires. They're just like us, you know. I, yeah. I I have trouble wrapping gifts. I think uh, Zeke is the same way. How terribly he wrapped that he wrapped that gift. But then the gift inside was probably a thousand dollar suitcase. So that that's maybe a little bit different than the gifts that I give people. But it was kind of funny to uh, to humanize him for sure. Yeah. So what's the go to wrapping technique then? Because you and I both seem to have like wrappings. I feel like m- me, I always just go way over the amount of wrapping I need, and then I just sort of like figure, finagle as I get there. Yeah, I'm I'm big on on taking way too much and then I have, you know, the excess and then you have like the cutouts of like a little bit that you can't really use to wrap anything else. So you're just kind of kind of uh, in a tough spot there. Yeah, uh, I, I felt Zeke's pain for sure when I saw him doing that. Yeah, it was a shame we didn't I didn't really I don't know if I missed this, but we just, did we see what Zeke got from Dak for his birthday? No. Oh, he did say, I think it was some, some sort of a gold watch maybe yep. or something like gold, some sort of piece of jewelry for sure. Yeah. He mentioned it. I don't think he showed it though. Yeah. I would have liked to see it because I mean, that gave us that story. I didn't really finish it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the, uh, the suitcase looked, uh, looked phenomenal with, uh, with Dak. And that was a really nice segue of the, uh, the people that, that produced the show, you know, saying Dak got this suitcase, but unfortunately he can't use it because he's not, he's not traveling with the team to Ohio to make the uh, Hall of Fame game. That was a good job by the producers. Yeah, good job, producers. I still like the fact, the fact that we got the camp shot, all the fans singing happy birthday to Dak. That was fun too. Yeah, yeah. One of those like lighthearted moments in, uh, in training camp that, that, you know, the, the fans love. And then the, the birthday cake with, uh, throwing it in Dak's face and that, you know, reserve uh, offensive line yeah. out of breath saying that he wants the cake. Yeah. I, th- I hope that we, we, uh, we uh, feature that guy a little bit more. I didn't even know who that was, but uh, it was really funny seeing yeah. him. What is that? I want, I want to try the cake. I want to try the cake over and over again. That was uh that was hilarious. So hopefully we get a, a more of a look on him uh, as the season goes on. Yeah. He does some fun moments. Yeah. So what was like your, your thing that got you laughing the most in the episode? Oh, it was, it was the cake for sure. That, <laughs> that cracked me up uh, for sure. That, that guy, out of breath, you know, you know, big offensive lineman out of breath talking about how he wants to try the cake. That was, uh, I, that had me on the floor laughing for sure. Yeah, that was great. I'll throw two other ones out there for, for shit, for Etz and Giggles. So number one, I'd say the, the montage of them all riding the bikes around the practice facility was funny. Like seeing like these big linemen riding these tiny bikes and like Zeke stealing Dak's bike. That was all fun. Yeah, that, that was great. And Dak not having the bike. And then he put the, uh, the number four on his bike, I think, so that no one would steal it. That was, that was a good moment too. Yeah, and then another thing I love was when they went to the meeting and they showed the Austin Powers footage where they were trying to get them to talk about the Mojo moment. They were the entire room was cracking and they play Mojo moment on the practice field. That was funny too. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I, I like that whole idea of the uh, the Mojo moments or whatever, setting the uh, kind of situational football uh, with with the lighthearted Austin Austin Powers thing, obviously. But uh, that was really cool. We saw CD Lamb make that crazy catch, I think, in one of those scenarios as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that was a, that was a really cool part as well. I did also like what they do with the intros. You do you they were you could tell they were going all out with the intro this year after they really were sort of limited for what they could do last year because the COVID restrictions. So like mm-hmm. you got all these high quality shots of the close-ups of the guys, you got the wide shots of the practice, you got the fans in there a bunch. They want to emphasize the fans are back. So I thought it was a very like well produced intro. It's not like your whole oh Cleveland, we're gonna show you the city of Cleveland. It's more focused <laughs> on what's actually going on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you know, on that note too, it was just it was really cool to see fans back at the training camp, at the Hall of Fame game, you know, guys walking around kind of business as usual, um, you know, with with COVID and everything like that. Because like you said, last year, obviously in sports in general, but even hard knocks, I felt like was just so kind of, you know, hampered with what they could do with the COVID restrictions. A lot of it, like you said, was on was on Zoom. So it's cool to see you know, fans coming back and kind of normal procedures for hard knocks again after last year was just kind of so limited in what they could do. Yeah, I think that's how they did two teams last year. And without a preseason, it'd be really hard to stretch one team out and have like enough content for everything. So two, I think, made sense last year. This year, I'm glad they went back to one. Yeah, exactly. And and it did make sense with the two LA teams going to their new stadium. So they did a good job with what you know with what they had last year for sure. But I'd still rather watch you know a season like this uh, over that uh, any day of the week, really. It's also unusual for them because I remember the last time they had a team on Hard Knocks in the Hall of Fame game. So usually you don't get preseason footage of the first episode of the season. So I think that also might be why we didn't get as much on some of the other guys we usually do. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was watching the episode and then 30 minutes in, they they talk about going to Canton. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot that they were even playing in the, in the preseason game. I, it kind of 
struck me as a surprise. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, hopefully in the next couple of episodes now, we'll, uh, we'll focus on some guys trying to make the team. Cause that's really what hard knocks is all about. You know, you get the, the closer look obviously at your star players, like the head coach, uh, any, you know, funny assistant coaches or anything like that. But the, I think the real thing of hard knocks or the appeal of hard knocks is watching these guys, you know, journeyman NFL veterans or, you know, young guys trying to make a team, you know, grinding out there and then, you know, seeing the guys get cut. Obviously that's always tough. Uh, that's for me, that's really the, you know, the whole appeal of hard knocks. So hopefully uh, next week when we have a little bit more time, like you said, we get into that a little bit more. Yeah, I was also disappointed we did not get more of them actually being in Canton because I know obviously like I don't know how much the players were actually like around for like some of that stuff and like you seen them go with the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. I would have liked to see a little more of that. I don't know what how much they actually had available to them. Yeah, yeah, it was really just the the game day footage and that was it, or, or you know the in game footage and that was it. Uh, we didn't really see a whole lot, but in Canton it, it it cracked me up the uh, the whole Micah Parsons thing too when he's on the phone with. Uh, with Dan Quinn asking if he can get another series out there yeah. and he got a, uh, he got turned down and then talking with, uh, with Van Der Esch on the bench saying how, uh, you know, how, how long he was going to be sitting for and adding it all up. That would, that cracked me up as kind of the, uh, you know, the duality or the difference between the uh, NFL veteran and then the NFL uh, rookie, you know, the rookie wants to just get out there and play and the, the veterans, you know, over it and he's ready to go back home and, or go back to training camp. That, that really cracked me up as well. Yeah. I remember that whole sequence. The phone part was great. I remember we never usually see that before. Like they've been talking on the phone during the game. I like the conversation. like, you know, like we flew out here, we play, we have to sit for two and a half, two and a half hours on the bench, another two hour, two hour flight back. So it's a lot of sitting. Yeah. Yeah. That was, <laughs> That was like the uh, you know the quintessential like NFL rookie just wants to yeah. get out there and hit people probably. Instead, he's he's stuck sitting down for like eight or nine hours, like he said. That uh, that you know I, I really felt that when he when he said that. Yeah. Aside from the rookie stuff, is there anything you're surprised you not get in this episode? Um, I, honestly, you know, I I just I thought we'd get more of of guys that weren't Dak, Zeke, and and Parsons. Obviously, you know, I thought that we'd see a little bit on like you know, CD lamb or DeMarcus Lawrence on the defense, or maybe the offensive line, you know, those offensive linemen for the Cowboys, they're, they're really, really funny guys. Uh, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith there, you know, they have a great relationship. I, again, I'm sure we'll, we'll see more of them as the, uh, as the season goes on. But I remember watching the, uh, the Amazon series a couple of years ago with them and Zach Martin and Tyron Smith and seeing like their relationship was, was really a cool part of that. So I'd like to see a little bit more on the stars that aren't uh, Dak and Zeke, but, that was really the only thing I guess that that surprised me was that we only saw really, you know, two of the mainstays on this roster when there's a lot of big names on this roster that they can focus on. Yeah. One of the things I also, I, I can sense maybe why the league probably may have said no to this and I'm disappointed, but I think it would make sense given the news around it. Like to see like what's going on sort of with them with like the vaccines as some of the players. I know it's a hot topic of some teams around the league is COVID's not dead. Once the people wanted mm-hmm. to be, because the Delta variant surging on this country and they had all the memos out about like trying to, you know, encourage guys to get vaccinated like i don't know how what the stats of the cowboys is in that regard but like mm-hmm. we're just gonna have a discussion about like hey like let's keep an eye on our stuff on our stuff because COVID can still be a problem for us and we're not careful yeah yeah I, I i do wonder if the nfl told them to maybe uh maybe not focus on that and to keep it out after maybe, maybe even that was a decision by them you know after last year where COVID was really the main focus of it to to kind of scale back on that and uh I, yeah i'm not sure about that but that is a good point and you know you did see a couple guys um, you know, on the practice field in the meetings with the mask on, I, I would assume that means that they're not vaccinated. I know that a good portion, I, I think their entire coaching staff was vaccinated. And I want to say that they are at or, or above the 85%. So they're doing well with that for sure. But yeah, I, I think maybe they'll get into that as well. Um, I, I would hope that it, that, you know, this whole variant kind of surge turns down a little bit, but if it continues, like it's been continuing, you know, we may see uh, COVID kind of creep back into this season as well and, and be more of a focus like it was last year. Yeah. It's something you don't want to see. I think your only yeah. reason we're going to get that is like, if it becomes like a hot issue at the league has to change something and you can't ignore it or like they have like some, like a breakthrough case. I think that's the only way you're going to see in the show. Exactly. Yeah. If, if, if they have sort of an outbreak or something like that, then I feel like they had no, they would have no choice, but to, uh, to feature it. But, you know, let's, let's hope not. Cause I did enjoy, like I said, I did enjoy the normalcy of not really having to watch, um, you know, 45 minutes of, of, of COVID talk, unfortunately. Yeah. I also think that we're in line for here. The thing that surprised me is I think we got to get more Jerry Jones. Like Jerry Jones was very quiet. Aside from the Epic muffin. 
Yeah, yeah. We only had really well, well, we had him in that in it wasn't the first scene, but one of the first couple of scenes at the press conference, and he was just going on and on and on. I felt like like fast forwarding. I was like, oh my god, I was watching live, but I was like, what is he talking about here? He talked for like two minutes, it felt like that was really the only uh that and like we said, the egg McMuffin thing was really the only times that we saw we saw Jerry. Yeah, he's a you know, he is a a guy that's full of character for sure. And and I thought he would be one of the main characters as well. So I'm sure we will see more Jerry in the last uh, four episodes. Yes, I remember when they had the, I think when they were on the Amazon show, Jerry Jones basically like the main character of like every other episode. Like he was in there so much with him and his kids or sort of like the main characters that were not on the on the team. Yeah, yeah. They did a lot of, of coverage on with uh, with Jerry with that. So uh, I'm sure we'll get, you know, a, a shot of Jerry, you know, with his family and everything like that. And we'll, we'll focus on that for sure. Yeah, but I was a little surprised we didn't get it in, in episode one. Yeah, I'm so curious to see, like, obviously, the season goes on here, because, like, the preseason going to be different, and usually that last episode of Hard Knocks is the last preseason game is early, and then we have all the drama, who's getting cut, and who made the team, yeah. and stuff like that. At least thing now that the preseason going to be over, they're going to have an episode, like, at the end there, where it's just, like, literally just, like, going through the team, and going through the cuts, and, like, all that stuff. So, interesting to see, like, how they allot that time there. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they uh, structure this season. Like you mentioned, also, with the extra preseason game and all that, um, yeah, they will have one episode that's really just kind of nothing, but yeah, it'll be cool. I what do they have four episodes left, so yeah, I, I'm yeah. definitely excited as a Cowboys fan. I'm definitely excited to uh, to check out the last couple of episodes. Yeah, because I mean they've been they've had a couple of good seasons of late. Like the last year, they did what they could with it. The Raiders were fun. The Browns were I the Bra- it. yeah, the, yeah. The Raiders and the Browns were two really good ones. Before that, they had a stretch where they they really had a couple bad ones in a row. Yeah, because I mean, like Atlanta wasn't exciting. Tampa wasn't uh, very exciting. I mean, they had a couple of like Dolphins and Bengals in there who were not very great. So I'm at the moment uh, like Chad Johnson getting cut on the on the on the yeah. show. But mm-hmm. like, I think they're they're poised for a good season here. Yeah, I hope so. What was the, they um they did the Rams one too, I believe, when they yeah, went yeah. to L. A. Yeah, that one was yeah that was okay as well. But yeah, they they kind of have up and down. But yeah, I think you know with the Cowboys, it's always going to be entertaining. There's always something with Jerry and everything like that. There's always going to be something to watch for the Cowboys. Yeah, I got the list of hard knock seasons up here, so I'll go through the history of it real quick. It started off in 2001 with the Ravens after they won the Super Bowl. They were there. Cowboys 02. Then there's a break. You have Kansas City 07. Dallas again 08. Bengals 09. The Jets in 2010. They skipped 11 because of the lockout. Mm-hmm. Then we had that stretcher: Dolphins, Bengals, Falcons, Texans, Rams, Bucks. That was not a great stretch. No, yeah, the only one that was good in there was Rams, in my opinion. Yeah, that wasn't even that great, in my opinion. No, it was, it was just interesting because that was right after the move, right? Yeah, so, to LA. yeah, that was really the only part of that one. Yeah, because that was more. I think the NFL just said, "Hey, like you're gonna be on the show. That's part of your condition of the move." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Tampa was not that exciting in seventeen, but Cleveland had the, well, all the fun stuff there with the with the with the with the coach going like yes, <laughs> and his and his big belly that was the big storyline. The Raiders were the Raiders. Yeah, Gruden that was always fun, but this this uh, one I'm excited for. Yeah, yeah, they've been on a, on a recent you know good stretch, uh, not really counting last year, but they've been on a, on a decent stretch of of late. So, like I said, with the Cowboys, you know it's going to be entertaining for sure. Yeah, I will say, though, the Cowboys are fun, but considering all the fights we had at Giant Camp and all the people, like, freaking out, it would have been fun years to see them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, you know, who knows? I mean, it's training camp. It's tied out there. Maybe the Cowboys will uh, will get some fights going to uh, to make it a little bit entertaining. But you, you're right. You know, Giants Camp would have been cool as well to see. Yeah, absolutely. Troy, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow social media key on some of the stuff you're up to, including your podcast. Yeah, definitely. You can follow me on on Twitter at Troy Moriello, uh, T-R-O-Y-M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. I do the Seeing Red podcast, St. John's Basketball. So once college basketball comes uh, back, you can check that out if you're a St. John's basketball or a Big East basketball fan. Uh, we do episodes once a week starting in October, November. So definitely check that out. Yeah, sneak it, sneak it up on us here, the college basketball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really excited, you know, for St. John's and the Big East and everything like that. And yeah, I mean, so many guys came back, so it'll be a uh, it'll be a cool season to watch for sure. Yeah, I think I'll also say a college basketball while we're on the topic real quick. I think NIL is going to save this sport because it's going to keep a lot of guys either going into college, post the G League, or some of these guys who are fringe like first round picks to stay in, make extra money, and improve their stock and become college star. I think they're the sport that benefits the most from NIL. Yeah, yeah, so many guys this season that would have been you know, maybe late first round or second round picks felt like that they stayed in college for one more year because of, like you mentioned that NIL. And yeah, it just, it leads to a more entertaining uh, product when you have, 
you know, better players playing. And like you mentioned, uh, high school kids going to the, to the uh, NCAA instead of to the G League. Yeah, it's, it's definitely good for college basketball for sure. Yeah, like Jalen Duran, who just committed to Memphis last week, like he basically said that the NIL was the reason why he decided to go to college, not the G League. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, you're going to see more and more guys like that coming out of, of, uh, of high school, these highly uh, recruited kids. That year are going to say, you know what, I can make a good amount of money or I can make just as much money playing college as I could playing G League. And I'm going to be on ESPN every week or, you know, CBS or Fox every week. So and I get to play in the NCAA tournament. So it's definitely definitely a step in the right direction and a long overdue step in the right direction. Yes, I imagine like if you're like if you're and you and I can't relate because we're not like highly skilled basketball players. So like if you're <laughs> if you're like a high school kid who's like highly skilled in basketball, you have all sorts of like blue bloods chasing your service like Kentucky and Duke or whoever and your option is go to the G League where nobody's going to watch my games. I'm going to get paid, but I'll go to college and get sponsorships everywhere. I go to Duke. I get on TV every week. I can make money mm-hmm. that way and make them off my name. Like, I'm going to go that way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that it's even a hard decision for these guys now. I mean, why would you not go to the, you know, the big program and be on TV every week instead of, like you said, being on the G League where, yeah, you're getting paid a salary, but it may not even be more than what you'd make in college now, and no one's really watching your games. It's I feel like it's not even a hard decision for these guys now. No, it's not. I think it's easy to see what happens going forward. Troy, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Definitely, Mike. Talk soon. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I thank my guest, Paul Latino, for calling in to talk New York Giants football. Busy, interesting year for the Giants. We'll see what happens with them going forward as they try and win the NFC East title for the first time since, I think, 2011 when they had the Falcons in MetLife for the playoffs. They went out of the Super Bowl, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them there. So thank Troy Morial for calling in to talk all about hard knocks with the Cowboys. Fun episode. We'll see what happens to them the rest of the season. Four more episodes to go. If you want to like this podcast, including my instant reaction to Team USA's gold medal game against France in the final on Thursday night. Friday night, excuse me. So hard to confuse with the time change there. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings well. That with the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations from the episodes will be up on the YouTube page. Let me chat with Paul and Troy are up there as we speak. And that will do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to dive into the Jet side of things. We're going to be joined by... Gary Phillips of Jets Wire. We'll do, talk Marvel with up with pop culture correspondent Sandra Rosa and more. Until have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.